Hey there, I'm Brad Feld, co-host of the Give First podcast, along with David Cohen. In this podcast, we talk about mentors and entrepreneurs in the startup world and discuss the concept of Give First, which means being willing to help other people without an expectation of return. It's not altruism. You do expect to get something back, but you just don't know when, from whom, and what consideration over what time period. Stay tuned for some great stories from some outstanding entrepreneurs about how making Give First makes great entrepreneurship possible. And now, before we really get started, the legal stuff, spoken really quickly. The following discussion is expression of personal opinion does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversation is for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal, business, investment, or tax advice, and it's not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. This is not in tiny little print at the bottom of the advertisement on your TV set, because it's a podcast. Hi, this is Brad Feld. Welcome to the Give First podcast. Our guest this week is Elizabeth Krauss. Elizabeth is the co-founder and chief investment officer at Merchlane and founding, working for, investing in startups for over 15 years and has really become a fixture in the Boulder startup community. Elizabeth, welcome. Hey, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be invited. It's our delight. Why don't we get started with you sharing a little bit about how you got involved in the entrepreneurial scene in Boulder? Yeah. So to tell my story in a way that's relevant to this topic, I started my first business at the age of 24. And your partner, Jason Mendelson, was giving first by teaching a venture capital class at the University of Colorado Law School. And he invited me and some other entrepreneurs to pitch our startups to the class. And in one of the ways that, from my experience, Foundry best gives first, he gave me some very hard to hear feedback, but from a place of love. And he said, Elizabeth, you're compelling, but this business is going to be really hard and really expensive to pursue. And he was right, but (laughs) (laughs) out of sheer determination, I managed to keep the business afloat for about five years and learned a ton about entrepreneurship in the process. And when I left that business, I was looking around for a way to leverage the lessons I had learned and stumbled upon a talk that you and your co-host David we're doing to give first in our community for Boulder Startup Week on the topic of startup investing. And I thought that could be a really good fit for me. And I asked you what it would take to become a quote unquote real angel investor. And you told me that I needed to be able to write two $25,000 checks with the understanding that I may never see a return. And I figured out that by putting a hold on a new dishwasher and skipping a few vacations, I could make that work. And Lots of hand-washed dishes instead of uh, venture investments. Well, to be fair, we did have a dishwasher. It was just on the break of disaster every time it ran. But... But anyhow, you know, made a few minor sacrifices and, and figured out a way to make that work. And... I figured out that I didn't really know much about startup investing. So David introduced me to some more experienced investors and invited me to something that's now called the Seed Angel Forum, which brings together local startup investors to see deals from all over the country. And 
you know, I was 29. At the time, I was the only woman in the room. And I remember feeling so intimidated. But I quickly figured out that I could leverage the wisdom of all those more experienced investors by simply finding creative ways to be helpful to them. And I built that network to 50 investors and was attending a Techstars demo day when this force of nature, Sue Heilbrunner, came on the stage to introduce the startup that she had been mentoring. And we started investing together and Sue decided that we'd be the perfect pair to start a venture fund to take advantage of the arbitrage opportunity and that there are very few women in leadership roles in startups and venture capital funds, but gender diversity increases performance. So we launched Merge Lane to invest in exceptional startups and venture capital funds with at least one female leader. We leveraged that network that I built by finding creative ways to give first and use that same strategy to build it to nearly 300 mentors and 600 investors. And that company that Sue met by giving first as a Techstars mentor is Pana, which is now one of the fastest growing startups in our portfolio. And we've made three investments in Pana, the most recent being its Series A, which was led by Bessemer Ventures. And it was oversubscribed, but because of the authentic connection that Sue built as a Techstars mentor, and we got into the deal. Awesome. It's pretty great to sort of hear origin stories. It's one of my favorite things, just sort of the evolution of how things play out over time for someone. Go back in time, maybe around the time that uh, that Jason gave you the, the tough criticism, and Think about where Techstars was and what your relationship with with Techstars was at the time. Do you you have any recollection of that or maybe even the first sort of involvement with Techstars? Yeah, I do. So I think that was in 2005, which was just before Techstars started. And I often think about how much things have evolved since then and, and wish that it had evolved as much as it has when I was an entrepreneur. What are a couple of things that are dramatically different 14, 15 years later? Well, a couple of things. I mean, you know, in part because of your and David's leadership, we have this army of people who are willing to give first to entrepreneurs, which is incredible. And I think it's much easier for entrepreneurs to find answers to their questions. You know, you guys have put a ton of content and there's a lot more content than there used to be. And there's also a lot more capital in the ecosystem. And one of the things that I've recently realized is that while, you know, every question that an entrepreneur might have is pretty Googleable these days. That's not the case for venture capital funds. And I, I think that that's, you know, one thing that I'm interested in and in working on now is that we don't have the same resources for venture capital fund managers as we have for entrepreneurs. When you think about the phrase give first, which you've used a couple of times since we started the podcast, again, go back to the beginning when you first either heard the phrase or heard something around it. What was your reaction? Well, to be honest, at first, it seemed a little counterintuitive to me that I would volunteer my time to help for-profit businesses <laughs> achieve a greater return. <laughs> but I remember Nicole Gleros saying to me that she was really 
hesitant about the idea as well. And that David just kept saying to her, just trust me, this is going to come back to you in spades. And that was her experience. And that is 100% been my experience as well. When uh, you started Merge Lane with Sue, you'd already been investing for a while. And the, the two of you decided, we're going to start this, this new company. It's going to have a venture fund. It's going to have a special focus. It's got you know a, a very clear uh, lens on women entrepreneurs, underrepresented entrepreneurs, just to, to put us in the right time frame. What was the time frame that MergeLink got started? 2014. So five years ago. So 2014. So yeah, five years ago, which, you know, was, was a couple of years before, I think the notion of the huge gender imbalance and in investing really came to the forefront. Uh, it feels like that's sort of, you know, two, three years old now. And I remember some early discussions that we had around Merge Lane, but maybe talk for a moment or two about the the beginnings of Merge Lane. What was it like once you sort of put this out there? You had to go raise some money. How did that happen, especially given uh, the historical track records that y'all had had at the time? Yeah. So Sue approached me and said, I've got this idea. I want to start a venture fund to invest in women. And I originally told her that I had absolutely no interest in that because I've never felt limited by my gender. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to narrow my focus only to women. But Sue's a former federal prosecutor and is quite persuasive. And she said, you know, I really think you should take a second look at the data and talk to the people you've been investing with and see what they think about the idea. And the data was very clear that gender diversity did increase returns. And, you know, since starting MergeLine, I have now met thousands of people who have told me their stories of why they believe that investing in women makes good business sense. And we originally started with an accelerator because we were meeting these extraordinary female entrepreneurs that weren't applying to Techstars and some of the other leading accelerators. And we saw the value that those brought to startups. And so we launched an accelerator to specifically target that problem. And that went well for us. And because of a lot of the work that Techstars has done and, and other accelerators who increase their awareness of what you just mentioned, that we did have this gender diversity problem, we weren't as needed as we were at the beginning. And we saw that as a huge win. We said at the beginning that we wanted to make ourselves obsolete. And as an accelerator, we became that. So we took the network that we built and the best of our accelerator to form a venture fund that would use some of those resources to best vet and support our portfolio. I think that uh, the fund that y'all put together was very powerful because it was early in this cycle, you know, a focus sort of building on investing in women. You also had sort of a broader view, if I recall, which was it wasn't just that you were trying to use this as an investment thesis. But you were also trying to get more people involved to have awareness around the dynamics that you discovered from the accelerator activity. In those first, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 investments that you made post-accelerator, 
What were some of the nuances that you learned about investing now from a fund versus sort of a collection of angels? Hmm. Well, I think that we still use a lot of the things that we use as an accelerator for our investment decisions. But I think we figured out that the best way to really get to know a company is to work side by side with them. And the best way to get into the most interesting deals is to figure out ways to be helpful to entrepreneurs and and get the information that you need as investors along the way. And so we took those concepts and figured out that conscious leadership was really how we were getting the best view of potential investments and also was the best way to for us to accelerate companies. So conscious leadership helps people really understand their strengths and weaknesses, the patterns of those around them and their own patterns. And we use that work to really get to know companies to figure out if we actually want to invest and whether we want them to invest. And we figured out that that's a competitive advantage for us and also an authentic way for us to connect with our portfolio. One of the things that I've always found special about Boulder was the cliche-ish co-opetition type notion, which is it isn't a, a I win, you lose kind of environment, which of course is at the essence of a lot of the ideas around startup community and give first. I remember when Merge Lane started, I think at the time Techstars might have been the only accelerator in Boulder. There might have been one other, which was Boomtown. I can't remember if Boomtown had started before or after Merge Lane started. But if you go back in time to that, did you feel competitive dynamics with what was going on at Techstars? Did it feel complementary? Was there good overlap back and forth between the mentors and the various programs? How did that play out? No, it, it definitely proved your coopetition thesis. So as one example, I felt a little weird about asking David Cohen and Nicole Glaros to be a part of what we were doing because we were also an accelerator. And I, I kind of shied away from that. And I remember having this conversation with Cliff Shaw, who's an entrepreneur that I'm guessing you know. And he said, they don't think like that. You are missing an opportunity. Go talk to them. And we did. And I'm so glad we did because... They've both been very involved with what we've been doing, and I think both of our organizations are stronger because of it. Let's shift gears a little and talk about mentorship. Maybe call out and give an example of somebody who's been a really key mentor for you over a long period of time on this journey. Well, I've done a lot of thinking about how I might be able to be helpful as a mentor, and it's kind of informed my thinking around this. And Actually, the people who have been most helpful to me are people who have helped me in fairly unexpected ways. So going back to the superpower, which I mentioned that that I think you and your partner share, which is being able to give really hard to hear feedback from a place of love. Your partner, Lyndall, gave us some fairly hard to hear feedback recently when we were going through the transition from an accelerator to a fund. And it forced us to get really curious about how that feedback might be true and how we could really deliver the most value to entrepreneurs and create a competitive advantage for Merge Lane. 
And I think we're much stronger because of it. And just one other example. So your wife, Amy, picked up the phone and called me when I really needed a friend. Literally after she threw up in the driveway because she had a migraine. <laughs> and she had she spent 20 minutes on the phone with me at a time that I'm sure she felt terrible because I just really needed someone in that moment. And I'm always grateful for that. But the scalable impact that she's done has been much more helpful to me. So, you know, you guys care about causes that I also deeply care about. And the book that you guys wrote together, Startup Life, is something that I think about all the time. I spend a lot of time away from my husband. We spend some time apart, which makes our time together better. But that re-entry process can be a challenge. And I think all the time about the story of when you came home from a long trip and ate the last banana that Amy was so excited to eat. <laughs> and we've had many last banana moments in our in our marriage, but you know, that feedback has really helped me think about that. I'm glad my painful relationship moments with my beloved help others. <laughs> Recently you started a new project called Fund eighty one. Yes. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, I touched on this earlier, but in my process of becoming a venture fund manager, I realized that there weren't nearly as many resources for venture fund managers as there were for entrepreneurs. And, you know, a challenge that I've really struggled with is that at MergeLane, literally hundreds of highly sought after, extremely busy people have volunteered their time to support us. And I tried so hard to volunteer my time to support all of those people, but it's statistically impossible to do that. I'm one to 900. And I ran myself into the ground and doing it. And it really forced me to think about how I could best use my talents and my network to make the impact that was most needed. And that really is what birthed Fund 81. So I take all the questions that I've had as a venture fund manager and invite people like you, thanks again for joining our forum, but invite veteran VCs to answer those questions in front of a network of other VCs that I want to build relationships with. And it's a way for me to give first and also support the work that we care about and, and want to do well in at MergeLine. It's a little recursive to talk about a podcast in a podcast, but we had a, we had a really fun podcast that I did with you on the Fundity One stuff around mental health recently. And we'll make sure it's uh, linked on the blog in the show notes. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting was how even relatively early on in your own venture cycle, you're already putting a lot of energy into not just building community with other first time and, and sort of very early in their career VCs, but you're actually facilitating hard conversations among folks. And you know that again reflect is reflective of this notion of give first from from my frame of reference because you're really investing your time and energy in others, you don't really know what's going to come back, but you expect something will. And uh, I'll sort of ask you to talk about where that came from. Was that literally just building off of how, what you'd heard from Give First, or is there something else stimulating that in terms of your own journey and experience? Well, I think that 
what I've heard from Give First has definitely shaped my thoughts around this. And I also just had the opportunity to experience all sorts of network effects that have come back from me from giving. But I do think about it a lot because my brother and I had very similar upbringings and he has a very different view of philanthropy than I do. And I think that some of it is innate. I mean, I can remember when I was a little kid, I started this Save the Whales campaign on the playground at school. And I grew up in a really rural conservative area. So I was, you know, this outcast doing that. But that was something that was clearly innate. And my brother has used his innate qualities to do philanthropy in a very different way that is that has also been impactful. And I think that, you know, understanding those innate things in you helps you figure out how you can make the best impact. Let's shift into a couple of rapid fire questions. Great. Finish up with that. Something that we've lifted from uh, our friend, Harry Stebbings at 20 Minute VC. So quick questions and maybe 30 second or less answers. Ready? Ready. Number one, what's your favorite city in the world? So my favorite place to be a venture capitalist is Vail, Colorado, because I found that there's an incredible network of people who are highly accomplished, like to give first, and like to share their wisdom on chairlifts and hiking trails. As I'm calling in today from Aspen, I like Vail. Vail's okay. Number two, that's just a little inside joke amongst Coloradans about the difference between Vail and Aspen, but we can... We'll take that somewhere else. Uh, Number two, uh, how about a book that you've recently read that you'd recommend to everybody? So I like to consume my content audibly to give myself more time. So I mostly listen to podcasts. And I really love, besides this podcast, of course, Nicole DeBooms' Run This World. So Nicole is a pro triathlete turned entrepreneur and her inspiring interviews are the perfect antidote for those bottom of the roller coaster entrepreneur moments. How about a charity? Any any charity that you name people at? Yeah, so I like to support causes that allow me to create systematic change in a way that's synergistic to the work that we do at MergeLane and that requires relatively little capital and time. And just like gender diversity increases performance for businesses, I also think it increases performance for our government. And so I'm part of a group called Vail Women Elect, which is part of a national network electing women alliance. And they're local giving groups that support female candidates in very crucial state and national races. And with very little time from our members, we've raised nearly 200,000 for five candidates in Vail. And then the national network of 15 chapters has raised nearly 5 million for candidates. Super. That's awesome. For those people that have been listening to these podcasts, they know that the Guns N' Roses question is coming next, which is, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Well, I'm going to choose something that might actually come true if I say it on this podcast. I would really love to go skiing with Jeremy Bloom. So Jeremy, as you know, is a pro skier and NFL player turned entrepreneur, and I'm fascinated by how people transform their competitive drive and athletics to entrepreneurship. And Jeremy, if you're listening, I am not an Olympic skier, but I can hold my own on the mountain. And I think we could learn a lot from each other. 
I'm betting we could try to help facilitate that. Jeremy is, uh, as I think you probably know, CEO of Integrate, which uh, we're big investors in, and my partner Seth is on the board of. And uh, in addition to being an amazing entrepreneur and a remarkable skier, many people that know Jeremy's name will know that he also was a pro football player, which is kind of an interesting combination, right? Skier, football player, entrepreneur. I wonder if there's any other people out there that fit that bill. If anybody listening knows somebody who did all three things, I'd love to hear their name. Elizabeth, thanks a ton. Thank you. It's great to have you on the podcast. David and I recently released the second edition of our book, Do More Faster. In this book, we teamed up to give first-time entrepreneurs the tools, insights, and experiences to help them do more faster. We also worked with a bunch of awesome contributors to get their stories and advice, including entrepreneurs like Tim Ferriss and Eric Ries, along with other successful entrepreneurs, even including David. You can learn more at domorefasterbook.com and find it today on Amazon. We hope you enjoy it.